Good morning. Uh, today's scripture passage is taken from Paul's letter to the Philippians, uh, chapter 2, verses 5 to 11. And if you have one of the Pew Bibles, you'll find that on page 951. That's Ephesians 2, 5 to 11. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking, on, by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, everyone. It's wonderful to be here with you today. Um, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Emily, um, and I serve on staff here at Spring Garden. And so, yeah, thank you for being here today. Where should I begin? I pondered this question for much longer than I care to admit. You see, the passage that Garth just read for us from Philippians 2, the passage which we will be focusing on today, has been debated for centuries by people far more intelligent and knowledgeable than I am, and for one that there is still no consensus. Countless pages have been written, entire books have been filled. Just talking about this one small passage of scripture. And yet, I'm supposed to preach on it today. So I ask again, where should I begin? The more I thought about this question, the more I realized that there was one starting point that would almost certainly be an irrefutable launching pad to dive into Philippians 2, verse 5 to 11. Reality TV the source of all indisputable information. In 2012, the show Undercover Boss Canada aired for the first time on live television. As the name suggests, the show entailed the CEO or boss of a large successful Canadian corporation going undercover, that is becoming an everyday employee for the company they own. Though the CEOs never gave up their status as CEOs, they willingly left their corporate offices to work in the kitchens, the loading docks, and the storefronts of their respective companies. To put it plainly, they entered into the experiences of their company's employees and thereby became an average employee themselves. 
As it turns out, there's something a little more moving about the idea behind this particular reality TV show. Even if it still presents us with the exaggerated and comedic portrayal of the human experience characterizing most of reality TV. The reason being, Undercover Boss Canada hints at the theological theme underscoring our new Lent series, the self-emptying of Jesus. What I mean by self-emptying is the idea that one would pour themselves out for the sake of another, sort of like the CEO who willingly takes on a lower position for the sake of the people in their company and their company. Though to be clear, I do not intend to suggest that the CEOs featured on Undercover Boss are in any way emblematic or an example that can be measured up against the self-emptying of Jesus. Jesus never pretended to be someone that he was not when he emptied himself by taking on human flesh. And his act of self-emptying far outweighs anything that any person has ever done. So with all this said, let's get into our passage for today. Our passage comes from Philippians, 5, Philippians 2, verse 5 to 11, though we'll be focusing on verses 5 to 8. It's an exquisitely beautiful and complex hymn recounting the mystery of how Jesus, being fully divine and equal to God, emptied himself by becoming a human being. Although it's likely that this hymn predates the letter to the Philippians and that it was not even composed by the Apostle Paul, it is nevertheless the cornerstone of the letter to the church in Philippi. For we see Paul using this hymn to illustrate the way of Jesus Christ, a way which he, in is in turn calling the church in Philippi and us today to adopt. The hymn opens with these words, strongly affirming the divinity of Jesus. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Jesus Christ, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Here we have Jesus being described as being in very nature God, an affirmation which speaks directly to the reality that he was of the same essence as God. What I mean by this is that all the attributes attributed to God can and must be attributed to Jesus. So if we know that God is pre-existent, meaning that he existed before the creation of the world, and that he was not even a created being, then we, we must affirm that Jesus too is pre-existent. More than just being of the same nature as God, though, Jesus is also described as being equal to God. 
Although this affirmation reiterates the reality that Jesus is of the same essence of God, like him being in very nature God, it goes one step further in establishing Jesus' divinity. You see, it leaves no room for someone to suggest that Jesus is divine and yet subordinate to God. Over the centuries, many people believed that Jesus was divine, but not equal to God. He was somehow less than God. He may have possessed some divine attributes, but to give him the status of equality with God was just not an option. Perhaps he was a divine messenger or something of the sort, but claims were made that he was not God himself. However, the opening words of this hymn make it very clear that any and all claims about Jesus not being fully divine or having a lower status than God are unequivocally false. Jesus is in very nature God, and he is certainly equal to God. Yet Jesus does not consider this equality with God something to be used to his own advantage, as something which entailed selfishness and warranted the abuse of power. Quite the opposite, in fact. Jesus, being in very nature God, takes on the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness. In other words, Jesus, who was divine, became a human being, the creator being created, the pre-existent one being born as an infant. It's really easy for us to miss how truly remarkable it is that Jesus became a human being. It's something that we hear quite often during our worship times and as we read scripture. But we cannot miss it. We cannot lose how important this is and how crazy it is. To show us how noteworthy it was that Jesus became a human, let's briefly consider the cultural context during the time of Jesus. In the Greco-Roman world, power was defined and understood in terms of grasping and seizing and coercion. There was one place at the top and everyone fought tooth and nail to get there. It didn't matter whether you stepped on someone's hand, sat on someone's face, or pulled at someone's ankle, you were expected to do whatever you could do to get to the top. Now, obviously I'm speaking in metaphors here. People didn't literally step on or sit on or yank at others. Well, hopefully they didn't. But these metaphors do illustrate something that is integral to the first century Greco-Roman culture. 
namely that people viciously sought the acquisition of power. And once they had this power, they lorded it over their subordinates by means of punitive and oppressive actions to ensure that no one came along and kicked them off their throne. With this cultural context in mind, it would have been perfectly acceptable for Jesus to have considered his equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. As something which gave him the right to pursue selfish gain and to inflict harm on anyone who did not owe their complete allegiance to him. Instead of yet, what's so remarkable is that Jesus didn't. Jesus did not consider his equality something to be used to his own advantage. Instead, standing in stark contrast to the other kingly authorities of his day, he creates a new precedent and forges a new way, a way where his divinity and equality with God were expressed not through oppressive and selfish acts, which demonstrated that he was Lord over all, but by a willingness to make himself nothing. Now, you might be wondering what is meant by the statement that Jesus made himself nothing. It's certainly provocative, and it may even be a little disconcerting when we hear it at first. After all, the idea of making oneself nothing seems to suggest an abdication of dignity and rights, both of which are an irrevocable part of what it means to be human. For this reason, considering the meaning of this word in the original language is going to be really helpful for us. The word used here is kenosis. It's based upon, and based upon the context in which it's found in Philippians 2, it's like, it likely carries the sense of emptying or pouring out. Thus, the phrase, he made himself nothing, could be translated as he, being Jesus, emptied himself or poured himself out. With this meaning of kenosis in mind, the contrast between Jesus and the leaders and rulers of the day is unmistakable. While they sought after and grasped at power for themselves, acting in ways that were horribly selfish and cruel, Jesus selflessly pours himself out in an act of self-emptying love. Now, you may or may not be aware that I have completely skipped over a debate that has been raging for centuries in what I have just said. I don't want to dismiss the debate. It's really important. 
And there's some valid questions that have come out of it. For example, scholars and Christians have argued for centuries, did Jesus empty himself of something when he became human? And if so, what did he empty himself of? This question obviously has some merit and relevance when we're talking about the intersection between Jesus' divine and human natures. And however, it's important that I point out from the outset that there is a great deal of mystery underscoring all of this. There are things that we have never been able to fully understand. And no amount of research or human knowledge is ever going to change that. I think that this is just one of these questions that we're never going to fully understand. Nevertheless, I do want to be clear about one thing. I neither think that Jesus emptied himself of his divinity and in doing so ceased to be divine at any point. Nor do I think that he compromised any part of his divinity by becoming a human being. I also don't think that Jesus was never fully human to begin with to ensure that his divine nature remained intact. Jesus was fully divine and fully human. And the reality and legitimacy of one of these natures does not undermine the reality and the legitimacy of another. So where are we to go with all of this? Hopefully you haven't got too lost in the theological jargon that I have been wading through. Earlier I spoke about the values of competition, selfishness, and greed underscoring the Greco-Roman context of Jesus' day. But what about the values which drive our society today? Do competition, selfishness, and greed not rear their ugly heads often and with pronounced force in our own lives, in the lives of others? and in the socio-political systems that operate our society today. Just cast your minds back to March 2020. Remember the toilet paper fiasco? Or think about how there are people who are being asked to pay 12 months rent up front because being newcomers to Canada, they don't have a Canadian credit score. What about our children and our teens who feel like it's more important to pretend to be happy, to post something on social media in order to be accepted for who they are? Don't these things scream competition, selfishness, and greed? You see, I don't think our context today is all that different to first century Greco-Roman culture in the sense that striving for success, prestige, wealth, and power 
at the expense of others, especially at the expense of the hurting, the poor, and the oppressed, was a thing then, and it's a thing now. These similarities make me wonder whether, like the early church, who found it very challenging to accept the way of Jesus, the way of self-emptying and self-giving, because it was so different to the cultural ideals that governed their day. So we too struggle to accept the mystery of Jesus' divine humanity today because we're too caught up in a value system of upward mobility. Have we allowed ourselves to be shaped by the values of competition, selfishness, and progress to such an extent that we struggle to accept the way of Jesus, who being in very nature God, took on the very nature of a servant? I asked myself this question as I was preparing the sermon, and I realized, at least for me, the answer was yes. I say this because as I pondered the reality that Jesus, being divine, emptied himself by becoming human, I discovered a pervasive assumption in my thinking. Specifically, the assumption that Jesus' self-emptying was somehow a degrading thing. That by him becoming human, he was embracing something that was shameful. But why? Why was selflessly embracing weakness, dependency, and lowliness a shameful or degrading thing? Especially since he never ceased to be divine at any point. In short, it was because I had bought into the lie that downward mobility is bad. Eliminating weakness was better than embracing it. Valorizing independence was better than being dependent. Prioritizing progress and climbing the ladder of success was better than humbly serving one's neighbor. The more I contemplated and meditated on this hymn in Philippians 2, in light of the questions and the wrestling that I had, the more I began to realize that Jesus' divinity necessitated his humanity. Jesus did not empty himself because human beings screwed up and in an effort to fix what they had done, he emptied himself by becoming human. Even if this becoming human was the very thing that brought about the healing and redemption that we needed. No, Jesus emptied himself because it is who he is. He is a self-emptying God. Being in very nature God, he is in very nature self-giving. And given that he will always act in accordance with his nature, 
he will always respond in ways that cause him to empty himself and pour himself out for the sake of others. In this sense, Jesus emptied himself because he was divine, not in spite of being divine. His becoming human was the fullest expression of his divine nature and equality with God because it was the fullest expression of who God is, a God of love and whose love is self-emptying. For this reason, Jesus becoming human is not a shameful or degrading thing. Even though it required him to humble himself and take on the lowly nature of a servant and even face the ultimate limitation of all, death. As paradoxical as it may seem, the downward way, the self-emptying way, is the way of Jesus. It is the way that leads to glory, to abundant life, to incredible joy. We often think that grasping at things that look full will fill us up, and yet it's emptying ourselves that leads to the fullness that we desire. The Apostle Paul speaks to this in Corinthians 1, verse 27 to 28. He says, but God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of the world and the despised things, the things that are not, to nullify the things that are. So what does this mean for us as people who are called to have the same mindset? as Jesus Christ. Having asked this question, it's tempting to jump straight into application and consider what we should do in order to walk in the way of Jesus Christ in our everyday lives. However, there's something very critical which I need to mention because it forms the basis of any conversation that we have about application. Namely, that Jesus not only emptied himself by becoming a human being, but in an act of complete and utter self-giving and self-emptying love, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Jesus' love for us was so great that he willingly gave up his life for our sake. He did not selfishly hold back anything, even his own life, but he selflessly poured himself out in order that we, who were once far from God, could be brought near. That we, who were once enemies of God, could be adopted into his family. That we, who were once slaves to sin, could be free from condemnation. As we think about what it means for us to have the same mindset as Jesus Christ, we must begin with the certain knowledge that we are deeply loved by him. 
Please hear me when I say this. You are God's beloved child. And so great is his love for you that he would give up his very own life for your sake. The reason we must begin with this love, this deep and extravagant love, a love demonstrated to us through the self-emptying of Jesus on the cross, is because the only way we will be able to follow in the selfless way of Jesus and to have the same mindset as him is for us to embrace this love. The world tells us that we are not enough, that we have to work harder, do better, produce perfection, all in order to prove our worth. The lie about who we are is why we go chasing after things that do not satisfy. It's why we hurt others to get what we want. It's why we strive for success and prioritize progress. The upward way, the way contrary to the way of Jesus, appeals to us because it promises what we desire most, to be loved, to belong, to know that we matter. The problem is, this way always fails to come forward on its promises. We're left feeling empty despite desiring fullness. And yet Jesus, the one who emptied himself, the one who set an example for us to empty ourselves is the way to the fullness that we long for. We're in the Christian liturgical season of Lent, a season when we intentionally journey with Jesus as he journeys to the cross. Lent is an invitation to observe and experience the self-emptying love of Jesus. And so as we come back to this question, what does it mean for us to have the very mindset of Christ? I see Lent as such a beautiful opportunity to practice this. Jesus coming to earth, becoming human, emptying himself, and then journeying to the cross where we see the ultimate act of him emptying himself. That is the way that we are to follow. And that is the way that we are invited into as we journey with Jesus to the cross during Lent. It's not easy. I feel like every Lent, I begin and I say, this is gonna be good, this is gonna be fruitful. I'm gonna allow God to work in my life in ways that are just so wonderful. 
And I get to the end of Lent, and I'm like, oh, man, I guess this next year. But I've been missing something this whole time. That the invitation of Lent is not to do and do and do, but it's to be loved. And from that place of having experienced the love of God, I can then go and empty myself for the sake of others. I have nothing to lose when Jesus is all that I have to gain. And so as we continue to walk through Lent, as we continue to go through this series where we talk about the self-emptying of Jesus, the selfless way of Jesus, I encourage you to prepare your hearts for the work that God is going to do. The voice inside of you that says, you are my beloved child, Come and follow me. So God, we thank you for your love. We thank you for how you willingly gave up your life. You emptied yourself for our sake. God, would that truth push us towards you? Would we be able to follow in your example and empty ourselves for the sake of others? We pray these things in your name.